The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. We are in John 6, John chapter 6. want to look at uh, verses 16 through 21 this morning. So last week we looked at um, Jesus. Uh, he feeds the multitudes with five loaves and two fishes. And remember the crowd of people. Next week we want to talk about that. We want to talk about the crowd. But the crowd of people, there were more than 5,000 people there. Well, there were 5,000 men. And remember that they realized that he was the promised deliverer. He was the one that Moses spoke of. They were convinced of it. And because they were convinced of that, they decided that they would take him by force and that they would make him king. And so what Jesus does is he withdraws from the crowd. But what we learn is from Matthew's accounting and Mark's account that Jesus made his disciples get into a boat to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee while he dismissed the crowd. And then after leaving the crowd, he goes up to a mountainside to pray. So John chapter 6, verse 16 says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. Now you read this, uh, it'll call it the Sea of Galilee, the Lake uh, of Galilee, the Lake of Capernaum, the Sea of Tiberias. There's lots of, it's lots of names, there's no typos, there's just people in Capernaum, it was theirs, right? People in Tiberia, it was theirs. I think Jesus called it the harp because of its shape. So it's huge. It wasn't a sea by definition. It was really a freshwater lake that was about seven miles wide, about 13 miles long. So it was, that's, a, that's a big lake, right? And so depending on where you were, you could have called it, it could have been called many things. And so they go down and it says uh, where they got into the boat, his disciples got into the boat, set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. Verse 18, a strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, be not afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So, again, we want to bring to our attention that John says that there were a lot of things that Jesus did, a lot of miracles, which he called signs, and he chose a selection of those signs for a particular reason to prove, to show as a sign that Jesus was the Son of God, he was the Messiah. Now, when you read in Matthew's account, we learn in Matthew's account here that Peter also walked on the water. I remember having a conversation with a guy, and I was talking about this, and he goes, yeah, but he began to sink. I said, yeah, but he walked on water. Do you have that in your resume of faith? 
Like he, it doesn't matter how many steps he got, he walked on water, right? And then in, then in Mark's um, accounting, he mentioned that the boat was in the middle of the lake. Now, if, if you look at the lake, it's kind of pear-shaped, so they're here, and they need to get here. Instead of going over land this way, they take and cut across the water, right? So it says, Mark says that uh, they were... Uh, in the middle of the lake while Jesus was alone on the land. So we learn he's on a mountainside and he's praying. And it says, and he saw the disciples straining at the oars. Okay, so you don't think about that. Uh, They're like three to four miles away and possibly a storm. The seas were rough. The winds were blown. It doesn't say anything about the rain, but there was some kind of storm three to four miles away in the middle of the night Right? And Jesus sees them straining at the oars, some three to four miles into their journey. So, we know this. We know that Jesus sent them out to go to the other side. What we need to keep in mind is that he sent them away from the crowd. I think this is important. He sent them away from the crowd. See, because the crowd, all they wanted to do is seize Jesus, make him king so they could overthrow the Roman government and be free from their tyranny. Like I think I said last week, so they saw Moses, God used him to feed the people in the wilderness, and then used him to deliver the nation, and maybe they're equating the same thing with Jesus, and they're just looking at this in a very temporal, very natural way. So, you've got to kind of ask the question... Did Jesus know that there was going to be a storm? Maybe. Maybe not. And in my mind, it really doesn't matter. Doesn't matter whether Jesus knew the storm was coming or the storm wasn't going to come. It was there. So one thing we do know about storms, all of us I think could probably attest to the fact that um, it's a way of testing our faith. So when everything seems to be working against us, and that uh, when they come, they can work to destroy us, our faith, or they can work to define us. They can help define our faith. Remember, uh, I'm trying to remember if it's Peter, James, uh, talking about the idea that the preciousness of the testings on our life, they refine our life. They, they refine our life for the good. And a lot of times we fail to realize that sometimes when stuff comes, we got to go, Lord, did you know about this? What's the big idea? It doesn't matter. He's there, and that's what we need to keep in mind. I was thinking about Several things, but one of the things I was thinking about in the context of this was Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, where it talks about the wise and the foolish builder. So it says this, that, um, that verse 24 of Matthew 7, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now listen to what it says. See, when the storms come, when, when, when the storms come, so when the rain comes down, 
when the streams rise up, when the winds blow and they beat against your life, they beat against that house It says the wise man's house because he grabbed a hold of, he believed, he trusted. His house did not fall because its foundation was on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the stream rose up, winds blew and beat against this house, and it fell with a great crash. So for me, the difference between ruin and rescue is where you place your faith. The difference. And we've, I don't even have to ask, but I could probably ask and hear all the stories is that when the storm comes in your life, that, that is at the point where you just think, it's going to bring ruin to your life and you continued to believe and you found not ruin but you found rescue actually what you found is you found a refining influence on your heart you found through the process that he was with you that like the song i love that he was for you I love that little line in there that says, even if to write upon my heart to remind me who you are. I, I can't tell you how many times in my life difficulties come and, you know, you just, you can, it's, it's natural, it's normal when life broadsides you, you look at the ruin. And then all of a sudden, just the presence of God makes all the difference in the world. There's that... The Spirit of God in you just with the smallest whisper reminds you who you are. And it has a situation immediately changed? No. And yep. It hasn't changed because the circumstances are the same, but it has changed because you're, remem- you're, remind- you're reminded, you're remembering. So let's roll on a little bit. So notice that for both the wise and the foolish, the rains came down, the streams rose up, the winds blew and beat against their houses. So I'm thinking for the disciples, you know, it's the middle of the night, they're in the middle of a storm, and they are in the middle of the sea. And in my mind, there's no quick way out of here. And all of a sudden, they see this figure approaching them. And they're afraid, thinking it's a ghost. Now, it could be that they're frightened because there was local tradition that if you saw a ghost on the sea, you're going to die. Now, they have no idea it's Jesus. They just see a figure on the sea, and they're afraid. And, And... a bunch of them were fishermen. That thing, that would have been like lodged in their head, right? So I'm thinking that for these poor guys, this is like uh, Murphy's Law in action. If anything can go wrong, it will go wrong at the worst possible time, right? So just kind of sit back and kind of let this simmer a bit. They're... It's the middle of the night. They're in the middle of the storm. 
they're in the middle of the sea. And here comes Jesus, defying natural order. (laughs) They're thinking there's no way out of this. There's no quick way out. And so uh, the whole scenario, just think about the whole scenario. And Jesus comes. He doesn't just come. How many ways could have this happened? A lot of different ways. But Jesus just defies natural order. In other words, Jesus comes in this supernatural, unexpected way to you. Whatever that looks like. However that is. Jesus always does that. You're in situations and he just comes like out of left field. He just comes into your situation. And they're thinking it's going to get worse. And then all of a sudden they learn it's going to get better. And there's just one thing that Jesus says to them. Do not be afraid. It is I. I love that. I love that. A literal translation translates it this way. Do not be afraid. I am. I just wonder how that... It, it, I don't know about you, and I don't know how many times this hits you in your life where he just... He speaks. See, his voice. It, it was the first thing that happened that changed their situation was his voice. They heard his voice, and it brought hope. And when that happened, what did it say? It says, then they were willing to invite him in to the boat. Right? Any thoughts or comments on that to this point? You got any thoughts? You know, doesn't it parallel the way sometimes in human nature we think as far as, you know, God wants us to walk by faith, not by sight. But as human beings, we kind of want to see what's next. And if you look at this right here, that's kind of what the disciples were doing. They were simply afraid. But then when they found out it was Jesus, right, when they found out that it's God himself in their midst, it changed their whole outlook. I mean, it's kind of like taking their, their faith to sight if you will. In other words, it's, and it's how God works in our lives too, because he knows, well, first of all, he gives us the faith to believe, but secondly, he knows our capacity. And I think just at the right time, he shows enough of himself so that we feel much better about our circumstances. Okay. Someone else? Um, Gigi? I was just um, reflecting on this verse. I, I read in one of the Alliance Life magazines, this woman wrote this poem about it. And um, she was just saying that Jesus was so loving and compassionate enough that he came alongside the disciples. You know, he could have calmed, I guess, whatever was going on, the turbulence in the seas um, from, you know, from afar. But he, he comes right next to us and lets us know he is with us, you know, during the hard times. And um, like when I was going through postpartum depression, I felt very alone. 
and um, like no one could understand me, but like I just, you know, deep down I knew God was with me, next to me, holding my hand, mm. comforting me, and um, he gives me the Holy Spirit to just give me peace during that time. So I just think it's um, just so loving of Jesus to come alongside us and walk with us during those hard times, that we are not alone. Mm, that's good. Was somebody else? Suzanne. So kind of building upon this, um, like when you were saying storms, I was kind of thinking in my head, when are there not going to be storms ahead um, in our lives? And I'll kind of speak maybe to my medical people in here, but also the women. So um, last week when we were talking about the 5,000 and Jesus can make things work, um, Joint Commission came to my hospital this week. Oh, we so, know what that is. I do anyway. There you go. So all my medical people know. And in the middle of Joint Commission, we can't have fans in our offices. We can't drink fluids near the computer. So in the middle of these inspections, um, I can't keep the fan, <laughs> so the menopausal lady is burning up <laughs> and very irritable, <laughs> and I can't drink fluids. <laughs> so Tony knows. I asked him, you know, Wednesday night. We knew they were coming back to our work site Thursday, and so I just asked him, you know, if, you know, if, if possible, I would like not to have to speak with them, but if need be, you know, I'll be there to do whatever. And I actually, you know, gave myself up to my um, my boss. Um, Monday morning, they had asked us if we knew we had a couple of charts that were, you know, had most of the things ticked off. So I actually had volunteered to be one of the sacrificial lambs, if need be. <laughs> so it just, it, it's amazing how the storms, to me, they're kind of always going to come. But um, like you said, that just lets us know even more the presence of the Holy Spirit that God gave us to get us through. So our situations, no matter the size... Doug? Yeah, just reading some of the commentary is um, Jesus feeding the 5,000 the five thousand, and the disciples being like, okay, how? How are we going to do this, right? Um, and it's sort of like, you know, that you just talked about with Moses and the people going through the desert going, how? You know? It's this sort of a hardening of the heart type thing. And when you just talked about going through the tribulation and, and the refining of the heart and showing us in the heart, so he sends them out on the ship, on the boat, right? It's just like, just go. I'll meet you on the other side or whatever. Um, so they go. You know, I think if they, had, if they had fully expected that Jesus was going to feed 5,000 people, without a, an issue, they wouldn't have been even so surprised to see him walking on the water, mm -hmm. right? It's just a, a continuous refining and growing in their lives. Um, I mean, that's just some of the commentary I wrote, I, I read um, in regards to Mark, I think, in that part of Mark. Um, I just love the fact that, you know, he sees them from three, and a, <laughs> three miles away in the middle of the dark, and then instantaneously they invite him into the boat and they're at the other side, mm. right? So it's just, it, not, not only am I going to calm the storm, but I get in the boat and we're where we need to be. Mm. That's good. You know. Someone else? Aaron? 
So every time I look at this, I notice more miracles inside this one miracle. But, I mean, if Jesus sends them off ahead of him and they travel three to four miles rowing in a boat, it's going to take some time. And then yet Jesus is up on the mountain praying. He sees them and then he's there. How do you make up all that time? How do you get there? Walking on water, right? Not running on water. So the, just the timing of this whole thing does not make any sense in, like, the human, for human time. So, like, the, I see the miracle of them immediately being where they were supposed to be, the end point. But there's also a miracle where Jesus goes from the mountaintop to where they are in the middle of the lake. Hmm. Like that. Yeah, that's good. What was it? Six miles below sea level, I think. That's good. Somebody else? Any thoughts? Uh, Ed? Uh, it's the idea that you brought out that Jesus shows up when we least expect him. Uh, we need to be alert to the surprises of God. Uh, up at Leesburg, um, at an elderly congregation uh, basically suffering from uh, atrophy related to age and um, looking for direction. We had a plan and the plan fell through. Uh, looking for God for insights So, what are you trying to tell us? So one Sunday morning about a year ago, three Spanish-speaking couples show up at church looking for the service at La Alianza de Leesburg, which shares our campus. Um, but no Spanish-speaking service because uh, the pandemic had, had really just basically uh, destroyed that ministry for a period of time. Uh, but I knew that they were going to try a restart uh, in a few weeks. This couple, three couples come in, and uh, they came in late for the service. I spoke to them after the service, and they said, we came looking for the Spanish service. I said, well, I'll give you the name of the pastor who's going to be restarting the church, and um, uh, I, I encourage you to go see him. Well, one of the couples took that advice. The other two couples said to me, we don't really care whether or not English is spoken in this church or Spanish is spoken in this church. We need a church home. Mm. God spoke to me. And, um, you know, I prayed. I said, what are you, t what are you telling me? What, what, what is it that you want to get through to me? And... Um, what the Lord seemed to say was um, we need to do something entirely different, something different than what uh, you would have imagined. Um, we need to, one church needs to, forgive me the expression, die so that the other work can be sustained. Um, and uh, I said, okay. So um, I spoke to our district superintendent and I said, um, I, I have a thought. I think it's from the Lord, but I wonder if it resonates with you. And uh, that led to a conversation, and the conversation ultimately looks like it's going to result in a partnership, two churches, one ministry. But what's the point? The point is that God showed up uh, at a point in time when I didn't expect him to show up, and it spoke to me in a means that I didn't expect him to speak to me. Hmm. Uh, 
we need to be alert to the surprises of God. He will show up when we least expect him. And by that, I don't mean he is an omnipresent. By that, I mean he will manifest himself in a special way uh, when we least expect it. That's what we need to expect. Mm, expect the surprise. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like that. Expect the surprise of God. Anybody else? Okay, let's look at, uh, kind of on a practical note, so always in this, I mean, John is aiming for him to get something, but when you really read through the text, there's, I think there are some things that we can probably discern from it. One of them is that storms don't necessarily mean that you're not in God's will, right? I mean, just even think Jesus, how it says the Spirit of the Lord led him into the desert to be tempted of the devil. Here Jesus sends them off knowing or not knowing, but Jesus sends them off, and they are where they need to be, and here is a storm. But I can tell you right now that the disciples were safer in the middle of the storm in God's will than they were on dry land with the crowd who was not in God's will. So just let that percolate a little bit. Sometimes your difficult situations where you are because you're trying to be obedient and do what the Lord wants you to do doesn't mean you're not in His will. And sometimes it's better for you to be there than mixed up in a lot of other things. Sometimes it's better for you to have to struggle through and process the reality of what it is to be a follower of Jesus in your life so that it can have this refining influence on you, so that you can become aware of who you are and who He is, so that what happens is you learn and you grow to trust. Now, it's interesting that um, Mark's gospel says that while the sea is being stirred up, so while the sea is being stirred up, Jesus saw them straining at the oars. <laughs> I think Matthew, he says, the boat by this time was a long way from land, <laughs> beaten by the waves, and I like this term, and the wind was contrary. <laughs> it was blowing against them. It, it was not with them. And so Jesus saw them, and the disciples were doing the only thing they knew how to do, row. They were rowing. They were rowing against the storm. They were rowing against the wind. They were rowing against the waves. Now, for us, I can tell us that we look back and we see this scenario, and here's what I would say. Row and pray. Row and pray. So John 6.19 says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, other indications are they're kind of in the middle between these two points. And and that kind of how it goes sometimes. You get some direction, kind of get halfway there, and it gets a little fuzzy. No? Just me, okay. Me and Ed, we're the only guys that know how that is. So I, I get to thinking, kind of Aaron brought it out a little bit, you know, in time frame. I'm thinking, well, when did the storm start? How long had they been rowing 
against the waves and the wind before Jesus showed up. Not sure, but I do know one thing. When Jesus did arrive and they invited him in the boat, everything changed. Immediately, everything changed. I, I like this. It didn't say the wind stopped, but the wind died down. And then Doug said, and they were immediately on the other side. Now, just in, you, here's, believe for that. Yeah, let me just encourage you. Believe for that. As soon as he jumps in the boat, you're going to be on the other side. Believe for that. Why not? Uh, it's not working. Okay, well, that's okay, but that, it's just like for healing, praying for healing. I'm not praying that somehow, some way, you might eventually, if it's God's will, get there. No. Uh, when I pray, I'm praying that God brings healing to your body now. That's what I'm praying for. Hey, if it doesn't work out that way, I, I, you know, I, I don't have all the answers, but that's what I'm praying for. So just my, my prayer is, and what I'm believing for, is when I'm in the middle of the storm, and I'm in the middle of the night, and it's the middle of the sea, and I can't see anything around me, and I don't see any short way out, I'm not praying, Father, just let me suffer through this as long as I need. Yeah, he might answer that. It's like praying for patience. No, I'm believing for when he jumps in my boat, when he jumps in my situation, I get on the other side. That's what I'm believing for. You think, oh, you, you just can't hack it. Hey, you live your life. Go, have that in your way. This is how I'm going to believe for it. And hey, if it doesn't work out that way, I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm going to keep believing, but I'm believing for sooner than later. How many believe for later? See, not a hand. <laughs> not a hand. You're believing for it to shift. So the winds died down immediately there where they needed to be. They, it says that they, um, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. I like that. Now, let me just say something. This is a message. When you are in the middle of the storm, and it is the middle of light, the middle of the night, and you cannot see clearly around you, you're in the middle of the sea, and there's no quick way out. You seem to be in an impossible situation. Let me just say this: Jesus sees you. So keep rowing, Amen. keep praying, and call him into your situation. So you can find yourself on the other side where you are heading. That is good. Now, I could preach this right here. You want me to get a little excited about this? I mean, this is really, I mean, think about it. I'm not here to hype you up. I'm here to explain a little bit of truth. I'm here to, for you to say, and, and you might say, well, that was not the intention that John had. Well, I can tell you one thing. Matthew and Mark, they brought, they, they, gave this an accounting from a personal encountering. Tell Peter, yeah, don't get all hyped up about that whole thing walking. Whoa, get to heaven and tell Peter that. Don't get all hyped up about the walking on water. This is something that, for me, I just, it just resonates with me, that no matter what happens, Jesus sees me. 
And, and it really doesn't matter how desperate my situation might be. He sees me. And what I should be doing is what I know to do. And if I do that, and I call him into my situation, I know for a fact I'm going to hear, hey, it's okay, I got this. So, you know, that's just so many times nothing around me has changed except that. But that makes all the difference in the world because that resets my heart. That just, all of a sudden, it just squashes fear in my life and it causes faith to arise. And it doesn't matter then. Then, then it's like, I don't really care what's going on around me. I know you're with me. So in essence, you are like Peter and you just walk against it. You get out of the boat. You get out of the situation. You just begin to walk against everything else that is fighting you. And it doesn't matter. Just think about if, if it's a distance, if the way for you to get out of there, that's okay because this has changed. Your heart has changed. You know that you know that you know he's with you. Now, I think it's kind of interesting that um, Mark, the, the end results, these outcomes, John doesn't mention the outcome. Although he wrote about this sign so that they would know that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, so that by believing in Him, they might have life through His name. He doesn't mention that. Why doesn't he? Matthew already did. Mark already mentioned some of the outcomes of it. John is just verifying this as a pointer to the deity of Jesus. But Mark says that when this happened, they were completely amazed. They were like just caught off guard. Beyond belief that this is all happening around them. Verse 52 says this, for they, he, he says why they were beyond belief, completely amazed, they couldn't grab a hold of it. For they had not understood about the loaves. Okay, well, what do you mean by that? Well, it's interesting, this Greek word, not understood, it literally means to bring together. The idea is to put the pieces of a puzzle together. That's what the word means. So the disciples at this point did not put the pieces together. From what Jesus had done, from the changing the water into wine, the miracles, the teachings, they, they still, the puzzle, they, they didn't have enough pieces for them. They hadn't put enough pieces together at this point, to realize that Jesus was God. And the reason for that, Mark said, is because their hearts were hardened. Hmm, that's interesting. They were, their hearts were calloused. They were dull to perceive. They had not yet fully put this together. And now, let me just say, like I said a couple weeks ago, you really can't blame them. I mean, they're on a learning curve. This is new. <laughs> the feeding the 5,000, never seen that before. What would they think of that? When they first saw the water to change wine, what would they, that was new. Up to that point, all that had happened is Jesus preached, they called him to be disciples, he was healing some people. Now this happens? So this is a new thing. They were at least on a learning curve. 
They were with Jesus. This, like the loaves and the fishes, again, it was something to them that was new. And here's a good reminder for us as well. We do not have all the pieces put together. See, we, like them, are constantly learning who Jesus is. So sometimes we get in a situation and, and we're just trusting and God brings us through and the next situation we get in is like the first situation. At the onset, how am I going to get through this? It's a mountain. And then it's like when you bring Jesus into your situation, it's a molehill. And then you get in a new situation that you're facing and it's a mountain. And then you bring Jesus into your situation, it's a molehill. And then the next situation, it's a mountain. Look at this, the, the ride that the disciples are on. Look at your own life, the ride that you're on. I thank God for the highs. <clears throat> and I thank Him for the lows. Because the lows, those low places, are where I really learn who I am, what He's done in my life, what He's doing for me, who He is, His power in my life. To think that he could take the, uh, a hardened, calloused individual who ran away from life, who, who knew nothing about truth at all and could bring him step by step, little by little, bring him to a place of growing him. That, that, that's, to me, that's the miracle. A changed life. That's the miracle. That's a changed life. So... We are going to encounter things. We just need to keep trusting Jesus to help us put it together. Now, this, that they had a hard heart, it didn't mean that they were opposed to Jesus, or that they had hardness of heart. So keep that in mind as well. But simply, they were slow to perceive it. They were slow to put all these pieces together. And, and think about it. They did get to this understanding, but when? When did they fully get there? After the crucifixion? Mm -mm. After the resurrection? Mm -mm. After the coming of the Holy Ghost. That's when they got it. And it just began to blossom from there. Spirit of God inside of their life, teaching and encouraging. I like uh, Mark's account. Uh, in Mark 6.52, in the easy read version, it says, they could not believe what happened. It was like the miracle he did with the bread. They still didn't understand what that meant. I like that. They still didn't understand what that meant. For us, the stuff, we still don't understand what it means. We will. Because he's faithful to continue to move in our life to get us to places. Why God does some things in your life, I don't really know, but I do know from my own life, He was working at a default in my life. He was looking at a deficit for me. He was looking at a, a mistruth in my life. And He kept working on it, working on it, working on it. I didn't put it together. I didn't come to understand it until finally it came and I saw it for what it was. I got to see Him for who He was. Any thoughts about any of this up to this point, Keith? This really reminds me of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 about, you know, trusting the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, submit to him, and he'll direct your path. Direct your path is what I'm focusing on. 25 years ago, we went out in a boat, a 19-foot boat, kind of crazy, 
We went out about 25 miles from Anclo to go fishing. No GPS or anything. So when we went to come back, of course you can't see land. There's a big smokestack there in which you kind of go by. <clears throat> so we headed due east, right, to go back where we came. But when we got close enough to see the smokestack, we were like three or four miles south of the smokestack. So my point is, as fishermen, they realize when they're in the middle of that lake and there's a big storm and they're being tossed around, the odds of them coming to the exact point they needed to come to is astronomical. But when God is directing your path, it's exactly right. That's good. Someone else? Uh, Lynn? And then Joan. I love the fact that they were still rowing. I think as Christians, we can't be passive and think that we're not in the game with Jesus. If you're passive, you think you're a second stringer sitting over on the bench, never running the bases. I think we need to win with Jesus and want to win with Jesus and know we can win with Jesus and get up to the plate, pick up the bat and start swinging and running the bases with Jesus. No matter whether we take two steps forward and one step back, eventually, if we run the bases with Jesus, if we know on we're on God's varsity team, we'll one day run around and get to home plate. Did Ed give you that analogy? No. Baseball analogy. I gave this analogy to Ed. <laughs> anyway, true, he's going true. If you're passive, <laughs> I'm ashamed to say. Yeah, if you're so, I give her a hockey one. <laughs> if you're passive over on the bench and think you're a second stringer, the devil will beat you around the head morning, noon, and night. Mm, that's good, uh, Joan. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> see if I can talk. I have allergies. Um, Annika, my granddaughter, this week had surgery and her face swelled up. They took gum from the top of her mouth and put it over a new bone. And uh, she's supposed to leave for college. School starts tomorrow. And her face was very swollen, even yesterday. And she wrote, I'm not going to be able to make it. And I wrote to her and I said, I will keep praying that it miraculously goes down. And just now at 11.22, I got this message from her. She's going through a dark a storm that seems impossible. And she said, the swelling has gone down so much, it almost looks completely normal, except for when I smile. I'm going to leave for Gainesville today, but I'll see you for lunch. Amen. Ah, praise the Lord. That's what happens when Jesus shows up. Amen. That's good stuff. Uh, in the back. I forgot your name. I'm sorry. Darlene. Um, in my own experience, I notice that when the storms around me are brewing, um, they tend to brew inside of me also. But when I turn it over to Jesus and I go to him in, those, in that situation, he always calms the storm within me. The storm around me is still going, hmm. but the storm That's within good. me has settled and it has calmed, and he always reminds me that, He's in it with me. He's not going to leave me. He's not going to forsake me. And he will get me to the other side. Mm, that's good. Amen. All right, well, let me finish up with this, close with this thought. So Matthew's account after this all took place is the, uh, 
what John had aimed for. It says, those that were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So somewhere in there, they hadn't put it together, but yet they did. Eventually they got it. They got it put together that you are truly the Son of God. So this miracle, again, is another proof of who Jesus is. He's his deity. And it reveals his power over the natural order. And like Aaron said, there's actually five miracles that took place. I think we just think he walked on water, but uh, Peter walked on water, right? Uh, When Jesus got in the boat, the winds ceased. They were on the other side. Jesus saw them from three or four miles away. All those things. That's just not natural. That's supernatural stuff that's taking place. And so let me just leave you with this. Concerning the storms and the new things we face in life, it's just one more step in the education of our faith. It was for the disciples. It was just one more step in the education of the disciples' faith of understanding who Jesus was and the authority that he had over all things, especially the things that were hindering them. Hmm. Think about that. Especially, especially the things that hinder you. He has authority over all those things. So just keep rolling, keep praying, keep calling Jesus into your situation. Amen?